I wonder if we could uh, open the scriptures to um, Romans chapter 11. And uh, we're going to continue in this chapter. I don't think we're going to finish what I had planned today, but um, that's okay. And we're going to pick up at chapter 11, and uh, we're going to read from, from verse 11 through to the end of verse 24. Okay? Romans chapter 11, verse 11 through to 24. Paul is speaking here and he says, I say then, they, that is Israel, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Insomuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Verse 15. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Verse 19. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell. Severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Sure, God will add his blessing to his word this morning. As you can see, the title up there, Israel timed out temporarily and um, it's sort of a a build on from last week where I introduced some of you to the yellow card or red card system of penalising some of our key sporting teams uh, when they're playing on the field and uh, we learnt that when a a ref pulls a yellow card from its pocket it means that the, the player designated spends 10 minutes in the sin bin before being allowed on the field to take up his position. In other words, he's timed out, okay? He's timed out. And and we likened that last week to Israel's position, as she is now. Because of her rebellious and her rejection of Jesus Christ when he was on earth, when they ultimately said to him, the nation, its leaders who represented the nation, Away with him, away with him. We will not have this man to reign over us. 
He has, God has yellow carded that nation. He has sinned her. But her time out is not forever. Okay? Her time out is not forever. We saw how divine discipline on Israel was restricted to those who rejected God. But God being faithful to his unconditional covenants that he had made down through the ages and, and right from the beginning to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, we have saw last week how he is faithful to that covenant by keeping a remnant or choosing a remnant of, from Israel for himself all the way through. Right up to this present day, those believing Jews, those Jews who trust in the Messiah, you might know them today as Messianic Jews. I've met in the numbers of them. They love the Lord. They've been born again. They're saved. They might do a few things different than us. But these, I, I like it. These people, they are the true Jews. Okay? The ones who have been saved in this day and age, they are the true Jews. They believe in the Messiah. They, they have taken up God's offer of mercy. Well, last week we saw how, how God's grace was key in choosing a remnant. We saw that in verse 5 of this chapter. This week we're going, to have, we're going to have a look how God's grafting in is also an action of his grace. Okay? So it's God's grace uh, in choosing a remnant. Last week we'll see God's grace in grafting people in this week. And so today and, and, and next week, God willing, as we make our way through the rest of this chapter, we will keep in mind that the overall thrust is God's discipline of, this, of ethnic Israel and how this discipline has a use-by date, okay? In other words, it's not permanent, but only temporary, as we see in verses 25 to 27 of this chapter that we're looking at. But today we're going to focus on the reasons or, or the planned outcomes, can I say, the planned outcomes of God's discipline of this nation. And this morning I want you to look at four outcomes of God's temporary discipline on Israel. Now, we're probably not going to get through to the four. We'll do all three anyway. But the first one is Israel's timeout brings salvation to the Gentiles. And we see this clearly given to us in verses 11 to 15. You know, often when bad things happen, all we can do is sit back and hope for the best outcome, right? Sometimes it feels like that, right? You'll remember a couple of years back, the major earthquake that caused a 15 metre high tsunami that flooded the coast of Japan and um, particularly a nuclear power station there on the coast. The tension ran high when that happened. Around the world, I might say, over this nuclear accident because this had the potential of being deadly for millions and billions of people. And so the world at large, all they could do was sit back and wait and hope for the best possible outcome. And that's what we did. And as we take note of God's discipline on Israel, we need to understand that this was not something out of the blue, as it were, like a tsunami or an earthquake. It wasn't something out of the blue like a, like a devastating tsunami producing only death and damage and fear. It's not like that. 
God's discipline, it, it wasn't an afterthought of God's. That's what I'm trying to say here. It wasn't an afterthought or, or merely a, an immediate reaction um, because the people of Israel rejected the Messiah. God just didn't react. He said, okay, if they're not going to reject him, I know what, and have a think about it and I'll put this plan into action where he disciplined Israel. No, no, it wasn't like that at all. God's discipline in Israel for unbelief, it was a divinely planned event. And it was meted out upon Israel in God's mind with the best possible outcomes for mankind. How good is God, right? And so Paul introduces this idea with another of his rhetorical questions and answers and it's the tenth time that he gives this strong or the strongest negative answer in the Greek that you can possibly get. And this is what he says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. Or as the King James would have it, God forbid. In other words, what Paul is saying here is God has not allowed his chosen people to fall into such unbelief and disobedience that their promised place on the world stage has now been completely abandoned. No way. Yes, they are now blinded to spiritual truth. Yes, as a nation, they have this blindness and this spiritual stupor that we read in verse 8 that God has caused upon them. It's not irreversible. It was never designed to be permanent. In other words, they will in the future, I'm talking about national Israel, they will in the future be back on God's playing field. So God has great purposes for their yellow card, their timeout experience, for their sin bin. And the first one being, as we see in our text, is that by their transgression, God's gracious redemption is now extended to Gentiles. This is the first outcome. Now, that, we should get pretty excited about that and it should warm our hearts, right? We should almost jump up and down about this. And um, because, because that's us. We can say, praise the Lord for God's discipline on Israel. Why? Simply this. It's because it's resulted in the gospel coming to people like us. And I don't think there's any Jews here. We're all Gentiles. Um, it's, it's, it's resulted in our redemption, in our salvation. to us who were completely outside the covenants of Israel. We were not even a people. In God's estimation. So we can certainly say here, as a contemporary saying, their loss is our gain. Or maybe if more theologically correct, we can say their temporary loss has become our eternal gain. Now, this has always been God's plan, folks. None of this was an afterthought, as I said before. Remember the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12? In you, the Lord said to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And he later on said to Moses in Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, he said, he told Israel that they were to be a, a, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, so that they might go out through all the world and all the Gentile nations to be a blessing to them. And much later, we come to Jesus' this time, he promised us here is this. He told us, his hearers, he said, that many will come from the east and the west. That's the Gentiles. 
Okay? Many will come from the east and west and will take their places at a feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, this is Israel now, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown aside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what Jesus said. Also, as we know, the apostle himself, the apostle Paul, he was uniquely called an apostle to who? To the Gentiles. We read this in verse 13 of this chapter and we read it in the first five verses of the book. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. And again, remember Paul and Barnabas when they went out on their missionary journey? Their first focus was the Jews, right? They went out to preach the Jews. But they were rejected. They were thrown out of the synagogues. They, he, were, he was stoned. He was, he, he was scorned. We read in Acts 13, verse 36, We who had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Later on, the same theme is carried on in Acts 18 and verse 6. We see the same theme, the same pattern. But when Jews opposed Paul, it reads here, and became abusive, he shook out his clothes and protest and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So as we see, folks, God and his redemptive plan is using and has used and is still using Israel's rejection and their deserved disciplinary time out to bring eternal blessing to millions of Gentiles, even to this very day. This is the new people of God, right? This is the new people of God. Made up of who? Individual Jews who are being saved, yes, and individual Gentiles. This is what we call the ecclesia, the called out people. The ecclesia is the other word for the church. Us as believers with the mighty throng down through the ages, ever since Pentecost to the when the Lord comes again, we're called his bride. We're his new people made up of Jews and Gentiles. All this is happening in Israel's time out. And as we trace God's redemptive plan and all this, it kind of brings home to our individual hearts something more of the, of the magnificent and, and, and infinite wisdom of God, right? Sure does. And so each of us here this morning and, and your family members, all who know the Lord as Saviour, we can praise God for Israel's yellow card. Because as an outcome, eternal salvation has come to us. So that's the first outcome. The second outcome we see here is that Israel's timeout stimulates jealousy in the Jews. Once again, planned by God. We see this in verses 11c, right at the end of verse 11 and through to verse 15, inclusive of 15. And so this temporary discipline of Israel, it's kind of like a, a two-edged sword, can I say? And um, Because it not only opens up salvation to the world, but it also brings pressure to bear on the Jews themselves. In other words, God's objective in, in uh, this discipline of Israel was firstly to bring salvation to the Gentiles and secondly to make Jews jealous. We see that in the end of verse 11. Now, this jealousy, by the way, is not a negative, hateful and spiteful thing as we might know it to be. It may have even practiced it to be. You see, this yellow card that God gave Israel, it, it was not a, a tool to, to goad the Jews into a hatred and an envy. 
that was wrong and sinful. No, no, no. That kind of goading or jealousy would only, would only drive them away. We see the word to make in, in verse 11 there, okay, to make. Now, that word in, to, to make in the Greek, it has the idea of a purpose behind it. That's what it means. It's with a purpose. So God's intention for Israel was to take a good look, for them to take a good look at the blessing that they forfeited. In other words, the blessing, blessing that they gave away and that was now being poured out on the Gentiles. That's what they wanted them to do. He wanted his, this discipline and its outcome to be a blessing to Gentiles and, and to stimulate an envy that would draw Israel back to himself. And I believe that's right, even from the book of Acts, to a certain extent, there was a message going out to Israel as a nation from, uh, from Pentecost there. And God was calling Israel to repent and return, but they still refused. And so it went completely over the Gentiles. You know, this reminds me, this jealousy thing reminds me of, a, of years ago when I was cold in heart. Cold in heart toward the things of God. And, and although at the time I was a believer in the period of my life, I was spiritually miserable. You been there? Well, this is, what, this is my lot. And, and during this time in my life, I, I, I for some reason still valued um, the teaching of God's word and, and I never refrained from placing myself under its influence. I still kept going along to meetings and whenever the word was preached, I, I still had this hankering for hearing it. And one of these occasions, the preacher whom I came to know quite well had a way about him that challenged me to the core of my wayward heart. It was not his message or what he had to say so much, but it was all to do with this guy's love for the Lord and his glad-to-be-a-Christian persona. This man's outlook on life was, it was engagingly contagious to me. His worldview and how he viewed life in the Lord and life in general, it drove me to a real, genuine envy so that I wanted what he had in the Lord. He stimulated me to righteous envy, to know and enjoy the blessing of God that he had that I miserably lacked. Now, that's the kind of envy God purposed for his people, Israel, folks. You see, Paul had already reminded his Jewish readers what Moses and Isaiah had, had said in regards to God's plan for the Gentiles. It's not as if they didn't know and they didn't have the, have, have the information. We looked a little bit there last week that how uh, through Moses and Isaiah how that God was going to bless them in order to make Israel, the Gentiles, in order to make Israel jealous and he was going to bless them who did not seek him or ask for him. That was the Gentiles. So the Jewish nation already knew this. And so God wanted them to face their own sinfulness and their own spiritual bankruptcy. He wanted them to see how they were alienated from God. Whereas once they had the blessed privilege of being so near him. He wanted to motivate them through a righteous envy of the blessings of God that the Gentiles were now receiving and which they were sorely lacking in. 
That's what he wanted. Now, folks, this can still happen to individual Jews, right? And I know it has happened, and it does happen. I've heard of testimonies of, of, of Messianic Jews, how they came to the Lord. They were steeped in their, in, in their Jewish tradition. And they, could, and they were, came into contact with individuals and groups, Gentiles who had become Christians and who worshipped their Messiah and, and laid away at them until they... The Lord used that to bring them to himself. But it also happens to Gentiles, see. It happened to me, right? This tells me, really, as a way of application, this tells me that as believers, every one of us here this morning who know the Lord, that our lives should be such that all people would see something in us of the beauties of our Lord Jesus. That they would be envious. Is that what your life's like? Is that what mine's like? Do we portray the beauties and the loveliness of Christ so that others say, oh wow, they are so different. But how pleasant, how beautiful are this. I want what they've got. They've got a peace, they've got a contentment, they've got a worldview I would dearly love to have. We're called in Titus 2.10 when Timothy wrote to Titus. He said, Titus, you are to adorn the doctrines of Christ. You know what that word adorn means? It's not to make Christ more beautiful than he is because that we cannot do that, but it's to adorn, put on. You know, like a lady, you know, she puts on and makes herself beautiful. And um, that's what we're to do. But with Christ. We're to put on Christ. We're to adorn the doctrines. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we go out, and then people will see Christ in us. They'll think, oh, wow, look at that guy. And so they'll be drawn to him. No, 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 no. We are image bearers. We're to make people jealous for Christ. And of course, as we think of individuals, we must think of this nation of Israel as a whole because this text here has the nation of Israel as a whole in the mind. And what can happen to individual Jews will happen to the nation as a whole in the coming day. You only have to read Jeremiah 31, 31, Zechariah 12. And here we have it in verse 15. It's described as a happening. Israel will be like life from the dead. In other words, the whole remaining nation one day will turn and be saved and own Jesus as the Messiah as we see in the last part of this chapter. That hasn't happened yet. Far from it. They're still under the curse of God, as it were. They're still yellow-carded. But it's going to happen. It's going to be an amazing revival of Israel. Yes, she's had revivals in the past under men like Josiah, the, the, the king, etc., where he, you know, he bought the law, but it was only partial. This is going to be a revival. There was going to be genuine conversion. What is left of Israel, by the way, because they're going to go through a whole heap of trouble before them, and there's going to be, there's going to be massacres upon them. But what's left of Israel, they're going to turn to the Lord. Zechariah 12 tells us they will look upon the Lord when he comes and they will recognize him as the Messiah whom they pierced as a nation way back then, their forefathers, and they're going to mourn because of him. And all Israel will be saved as in a day. The Spirit of God is going to pour out his grace upon those people, that ethnic people, 
and they will be saved. Look at verse 12. I love this. You know, this should warm our hearts this morning. It says, But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much more greater riches will be their full inclu- will the full inclusion bring? I'm reading from the NIV here. Now, I'm, I'm really hanging out for this greater riches business. Right? I am. I'm not ashamed of saying that. I want more and I'm really hanging out for this. Because this has yet to happen. It hasn't happened yet. Because Israel is still in her time out period, right? And so Israel has not been fully included yet. What this tells us is that if the Lord has used Israel's rejection of the Messiah to bless people like us as Gentiles, it's beyond compare to think how much more he will bless the world when Israel repents and is fully included. That's what it says. You see, if God blesses Israel when she rebels, how much more will he bless the world, the, the people of the world, when that millennium kingdom is ushered in upon the national repentance of Israel? My word, we've got something to look forward to, folks. You read that about Zechariah 12, 13 and 14, and you can pick it up in Revelation chapter 20. But Israel is still blinded, and they're still ignorant. They're still in unbelief. Today she's a nation that's mostly secular, anti-God. So where does this envy outcome leave us Gentiles? Where does it leave us this morning? This is our third outcome. Israel's time out prompts humility in the church. Okay? That's where it leaves us. You see, Paul in this section, he uses two metaphors as a way of warning Gentiles of becoming boastful and arrogant. Which, by the way, was the same attitude that Israel had that caused God to, to discipline her, remove her from the place of blessing. But as we think about this, we think of down through history, and history has proved that this very attitude of this boastful, this arrogant and prideful attitude soon crept into Christian Gentile thought. It soon became an accepted thing by many Christians to scorn the Jew because Jews had scorned and rejected Christ. That became very common. And so down through the centuries, this idea has fueled much of the anti-Semitism that we see today, where we see it in cults, where we see it in religious groups. And sad to say, even Christian churches to this day, we see certain amounts of anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish. Now, this is something that we should be mindful of, folks, because it's possible even for genuine believers to be infected with the centuries-old sin which the Lord hates. He detests it. How we need to be careful that we do not in any way ridicule, mock, and make fun of God's people, Israel, who are under His discipline. For in doing so, we line ourselves up fair and square for God's discipline upon us also, right? See that in verse 21. So rather than becoming prideful and boastful, another outcome of God's discipline on Israel is that we might be humbled. The first metaphor that Paul uses here is, is, um, in this illustration is, is, is a first piece of dough, he calls it. 
Now, the first piece of dough was that which represents the whole loaf, as we see in verse 16. The first piece, therefore, it was, it was that holy, that set-apart piece, and it was symbolic of the first fruits of a greater harvest. So we have this first coming right through Israel's religious order of things that was set apart for God. And so this first piece was consecrated to the Lord by, by, by when we talk about the dough here, we talk about the bread when we read in Numbers chapter 15. This first piece of dough, it was consecrated to the Lord. How? By offering it to the priests of the Lord before the rest was ever, ever touched or eaten by the people. And so this is where this idea comes from. And so what Paul is doing here is arguing that if the first piece of dough was accepted as holy before God, what happens to the rest? The rest would be also. Okay? In other words, Abraham being the first fruit, the first piece of dough, this means there will be a greater lump, a greater harvest of descendants that will be holy to the Lord as well. That's the picture here. Abraham, Isaac and Joseph. This is the first piece where God consecrated this nation to be a blessing to the world. There are unconditional promises there. Eternal promises. And then we see the second analogy or the metaphor that he uses and that is of a tree. A tree with its foundational root that, and this tree produced branches. And so what these two analogies do is tell one important but similar message. They tell us that Israel, that first feast, that consecrated nation, which began as a holy set-apart root in Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, if they are God's set-apart people to be a blessing forever to the nations, then so must be their descendants forever. This is what it's telling us. My dear people, this means that God will never forsake his people, right? Even though we can look down 2,000 years now and say, wow, they've been a nothing people. Well, it was only in 1948 that they came back to their land. Before that, they were scattered all over the world. And still there are more Israelis, more Jewish people, can I say, living outside Israel than in Israel. But God will never forsake his people. For if he do, it would, be, it would renege on his promises made to the patriarchs of old, which God will never do. Why? Because it would go against his character. But as we note here that Paul continues to use this root, tree and branches analogy as a, as a warning of us all. So he picks us up in verses 70 to 24. And you see the olive tree, which, you know, the olive tree is a tree that can live for hundreds of years and, and is still a very common sight in the hills and the valley of Israel. But this amazing resilient tree, what it does, it gets older and as it gets older, branches become unproductive. This is what still happens. But new ones can be successfully and effectively grafted into the ancient root to maintain its efficiency and production. And this is the figure that Paul uses here. So what we see in this analogy is older unproductive branches being broken off, that is, unbelieving and disobedient and unfruitful Israel, right? And understand that the Lord warned Israel centuries before that this would happen. It's not as if this just all of a sudden happened when they rejected Christ. He warned them of this 
Jeremiah chapter 11 says, if, you, if they continue in unbelief, he will set a fire among their worthless branches, even though they were a green olive tree he had planted. Later on, Jesus in Matthew 21, when he was walking the scene, he, see, he told his hearers, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. But note the, exact, the exactness of the text we have here before us in verse 17. Some of the branches, it says, in verse 17. Some of the branches were broken off. didn't say all of them. That is, the unbelieving, unfruitful Jewish branches were broken off. But look what God has grafted into bare fruit. That's the interesting place here. Look what he's grafted in. Look at the new branches he's grafted in, folks. Into that foundational root to enjoy God's blessing, to be fellow heirs along with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the believing remnant. Look what he's grafted in. He has grafted in branches from where? From a wild olive tree. That is branches that are foreign to the pure cultivated tree as we see in verse 24. And that's us, folks. That's us. We are those who are outside the covenant promises given to Israel, but now are branches grafted into that rich root of God's olive tree. Oh, what grace we see in God's grafting here, right? So what should this truth produce in us? That's a good challenging question. Here we are, we're grafted into God's ancient root. And by faith, we're the sons of Abraham. We're going to share in the blessings that God intended for Israel. What should we produce now that we're branches grafted? That's a, that's a challenging question to me as I, as I wrote this down. Certainly not pride and boasting. Nothing but humility, folks. Humility, humility. See verse 18? It says, Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. That's pretty serious. Verse 20 uses another word. The word conceit. It says, do not get the idea that you are now blessed by God. This is what it means here, this word conceit. Do not get the idea that you are now blessed by God because you have a better understanding and are not as ignorant as the Jews were. Wow. Don't get carried away with yourself. Because the issue, as we see it here, as we look at Israel and look at ourselves, we look at the branches that are broken off and look at the branches that are grafted in, the issue is not about intelligence or understanding or race or creed or superiority. The issue is all about what? It's all about unbelief versus belief. You see, Israel was broken off by our unbelief. You know what? And Gentiles, every single one of us here who belong to the Lord, are grafted in on the basis of belief. Faith. So forget about superiorities, forget about whatever, anything else. It's faith. So it's faith in Jesus Christ alone that is the basis of our standing with God. Always has been and always will be and still is. So rather than boast, folks, an outcome of Israel's discipline by God is that we should be, what? Humble before Him. Why? Because, verse 21 tells us, if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. And again in 22, continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Now that's pretty heavy, right? 
That's really serious. That should make any Christian sit up and take notice. And we say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean this cut off? Does that mean that I can be a Christian and be broken off by God and lose my salvation blessing? I thought I was saved forever. No, it doesn't mean that. What this means is, as there were many Jewish unbelievers who mixed and mingled and shared in the blessing of the nation that was given to them with God, there are also many unbelievers in our churches today who share in the blessings of hearing and knowing the gospel truth, but they have never, ever bowed the knee and bowed their heart and known Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so just as Israel was confronted with God's kindness in Jesus Christ as a nation, the majority, you know what they did? They vented their heart of unbelief and refused him as their Messiah. Because of that, they suffered his severity. He broke them off like branches from their root. My dear people, as I said before, there's many people in our churches who know the truth, who have heard the truth, who know the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they are exactly the same as Israel. They refuse to believe and repent and bow their stubborn wills to come followers of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. That's a real sad state, isn't it? It's to these people, like it was to the Jewish unbelievers, that, that God's patience one day will exhaust itself and the offer of grace, the offer of mercy will be withdrawn. How sad is that? Terrible is that? It's to these privileged people who are presently blessed, maybe, can we call it by association, with true believers. But in a coming day of judgment, they will be eternally cut off from God because of their unbelief. My dear people, may it be that there's no one in this company here today who fall into that category. This brings us to our fourth outcome of God's discipline on Israel. And this is from verse 23 and verse 24, but I'm, as I said before, I'm going to leave this till next week because... Um, the rest of the verses, the rest of the chapter picks up a lot of this and, uh, and we'll just leave it for that. But we do see that Israel's time out promises her restoration and we'll look at that next week. And so just as a way of application, I thought, well, what can we take home from the section that we've looked at this morning? And the first one is avoid anti-Semitism. I know there are a lot of good laughable Jewish jokes out there. Probably laughed at them myself. But being re-challenged again as I've read this, be very careful. You know, we're touching the apple of God's eye. If we treat with scorn, ridicule or derision the nation that the Lord, even today, who is in hard-hearted unbelief, they're still the Lord's people. So avoid anti-Semitism. Be thankful for salvation is the next one. That's something every single one of us as believers can go home with today. You know, God in grace has extended his offer of mercy to Gentiles, of whom we are, to be saved. Once who were not a people, but now his people, we're his bride, his sons and daughters. Be thankful, ever thankful for our salvation. 
another one I've got written, live Christ-like lives to draw people to Christ. In other words, live in such a way that you adorn the beauties of Christ by making your workmates, making your colleagues. You're not going to win all of them. Some of them are going to scorn and hate you for it. Some of them are going to swear and cuss and whatever. But our responsibility is to adorn the doctrine of Christ and by that way, people will be envious of what we have and that they know they haven't. And then finally, don't enjoy God's blessings by association, yet with a fear of unbelief or, a, or with a, or the heart of unbelief. Yeah, sorry. Don't just be a mere associate. Be terrible if there was someone sitting in this place today and enjoys coming out, enjoys Christian company. You know, I was like that for a while, a long time, in my young, young years. I enjoyed the meetings. I enjoyed the missionaries used to come to their home. I enjoyed the Christian company because underneath I knew that they were right, but even though that I knew I was wrong, so I associated myself with them and enjoyed it, but I wasn't a Christian. You see, if this is your case this morning, you're in a privileged position. And you know what? One day you're going to be held accountable for how you respond to this opportunity. You need to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the demand that Jesus makes. For otherwise, you will exhaust God's patience like Israel did and you will be cut off and in your case, only to suffer eternal judgment. And finally, let us all this morning behold the kindness and the severity of God. We have a great God, right? See those nice new branches up there? That's you guys. That's us. That old stump, that old root. There's going to be a lot more grafted in there one day. Israel as a nation will be too. And in the coming coming day, we're going to be one people of God. Praise the Lord for that. We're looking forward to that, aren't we? Thank you very much for your attention and I'll hand that back over to Jordan this morning.